Clyde started a, a series last weekend called uh, I've Been Wondering. And he talked about, I've been wondering why doesn't God intervene more in the world? And uh, it was great to, to hear the answer to that is that not only does God intervene, he is continuing to intervene in the world. And the good news, although if I was God, I wouldn't do it this way, but the good news is he uses us every single day. And we heard the story and, and, uh, about the, the feeding of the 5,000, how God took, a, and we forgot about this woman, the thoughtful mother who packed the lunch for the little boy who went to hear Jesus, who willingly gave it up to a bunch of doubting disciples who obediently did what Jesus asked them to do. And thousands of people were fed. And God is wanting to do that every single day with us. So Clyde asked me if I would be speaking on, I've been wondering how do I deal with stress and anxiety, of which I've spent the last number of weeks very stressed and anxious about how to whittle that all down. It's a very big topic. You see, those words are different words, but they have some similar meanings. I think sometimes stress plus anxiety equals worry. Sometimes worry plus anxiety equals stress. Other times, stress and worry equal anxiety. And so I've chosen to speak on worry. I think it affects all of us every single day. And there's different levels of worry here, even presented here in this service. There's some here who today um, have to get their blood pressure checked regularly to see if they're still alive because you don't worry about anything. You know, your parent uh, or parents or when you were in school, they, they wish you would worry about school more. Your, your spouse is just wishing that you'd worry a little more about the relationship. Your job is hoping, your job and the boss there is hoping you'd worry more about the job, but you just don't do that, and so you're just going to chill out today and probably will wake you up after the service is done so you know when to go home. At the other end of the spectrum, though, are those who worry about every single thing, all the time. In fact, you begin to worry if there's not enough to worry about. You think that maybe God has given you this as a spiritual gift because you're so good at it, but then there's the rest of us that are somewhere in the middle. And uh, in light of what's happening in our economy and in our province, those of us who maybe didn't consider ourselves worriers are, are beginning to worry or have been worrying a lot more. How do we cope or how do we handle with this? Well, you know, there's been a couple of things over the years that I've, I've seen happen. The music industry has kind of given us hopefully some tools to handle that. I'm old enough to remember when Bobby McFerrin came out in 1988 with the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. That, what a great song. What terrible advice on how to deal with worry. I'm old enough also that my kids were young enough when The Lion King just came out as a, as, as a movie. And their song, they would sing all around the house, Akuna Matata, right? No worries, it's Swahili for no worries. Imagine my surprise when my wife and I were in East Africa earlier this year and I heard Akuna Matata and I turned around and I didn't see Timun or Pumbaa, but rather I saw an African man talking to his friend, no worries. You know, literature has tried to help us out with this as well, too. Let me read you just a couple of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of titles that you can find at Chapters or Indigo or online at Amazon of books that are written to help you. One is Worry, Hope and Help for the Common Condition. Obviously, it's a common condition. Another one is What to Do When You Worry Too Much, A Kid's Guide to Overcoming Anxiety. A third one is Women Who Worry Too Much, How to Stop Worry and Anxiety from Ruining Relationships, Work, and Fun. There's an anxiety survival guide for teens, skills to overcome fear, worry, and panic. And then there's the common overcoming anxiety for dummies. Uh, imagine, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, books for every age group, books for every stage of life, 
because every single one of us is dealing with worry. Worry is essentially a preoccupation with tomorrow. And I might be all right right now, I might be all right this minute, but it's those future minutes, it's those future tomorrows that I'm not so sure about. Worry is a preoccupation with wanting to control tomorrow, about a certainty about tomorrow. Well, here's the news flash. You have never been able to control tomorrow. You have never been able to go to bed in the evening with any real certainty of what was going to happen the next day. That's just life. There's a quote I came across that says, worrying is like prayer in reverse. Prayer generally has a way of making things smaller. Worrying generally makes issues larger. Wouldn't you agree that worrying doesn't extend your life? Right? I mean, nobody argues for the benefit of worrying. Nobody creates or or thanks or credits worrying for some great accomplishment. My wife and I didn't say we made it to the top of Kilimanjaro because we worried our way to the top. Right? Worry just has no benefit to our life at all. And worrying also has the potential of shortening our life. Lots of studies on that. Lots of health issues come with worry and anxiety. In fact, for some of you who are the chronic worriers, you're taking years off the life of your spouse and kids because you worry so much. You're driving them crazy. Why do we worry? It doesn't make any logical sense at all. John Calvin was quoted as saying, those who are extremely anxious wear themselves out and become their own executioner. And so what advice would I give you today? Well, uh, I might want to give you the advice of Bob Newhart. He's a comedian who plays a psychiatrist. You can look him up on YouTube. A lady walks into his office and has the fear and she's worried about being buried alive in a box. And he turns to her and says, I've got two words for you to help you with this. Stop it. Stop it. Now I find that advice probably as helpful as don't worry, be happy. So what does Jesus say about worry? He's got a lot to say about it. And so, in fact, it's so incredible that if we were to understand it and make it a part of our lives, integrate it into our everyday living, it would not only lower our worrying, it would knock our stress and anxiety levels down significantly. Worry's been around as long as people have been around, and so Jesus addresses it to the people of his day. And he gives us some definitive answers. Let me just kind of give you the big picture, the, sort of the, the destination of where we're going here. I want to give you the big, big, big picture in case you leave early or maybe I'm not that interesting to listen to. So let me give you the three big blocks we're going to look at today. The first one is you can't add anything to your life by worrying. We've already talked about that. Jesus is going to make that point. No matter how good a worrier you are, you could be a professional worrier. You could be a card-carrying worrier. You could be someone that people come to to worry for them. It's not going to make any difference to your life. A second thing is that by saying don't worry, Jesus is not saying don't care. One of the pushbacks we might have in Jesus' words as we read them again today is that when Jesus says don't worry, we might interpret it as Jesus saying, well, just don't care. In other words, I've got this big test. Jesus says don't worry, so I'm not going to study. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just not going to care. My marriage is in crisis. My spouse is saying we need to go to a counselor. But the pastor says, that Jesus says, don't worry. So I'm not going to worry about it. It's all that's going to work out. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus never had a message that said, well, it's just all going to work out. Who cares? Don't worry doesn't mean get a spray tan, one of those umbrella drinks, and sit by the pool. That's not going to be helpful. But a third thing, big block, where we're going with this message is this, and I've got it on the screen for you to see as well. It's that important. The things that you are most devoted to are the things that will determine what you worry about the most. Let me word it a different way. 
The thing you worry about the most is the thing you are most devoted to. That's where Jesus is taking us today. If you want to drive, your, if you want to know what drives your worry, it's the point of your greatest devotion. Let me give you an example. If I was the, pa- I've been the pastor of a, a number of different places. If I was the pastor of your church, uh, I would say this. I, I know it sounds terrible, but I, I really mean it. Is that I never worry about your job. I just don't. I go to sleep at night not worrying about your job. Now, if you come to me and you say, Kev, I've lost my job or I'm struggling with my job, I'm looking for a job or there's some stuff, we would sit and talk and I'd pray with you and put my arm around you and we would, but I wouldn't worry about it because I'm not as devoted to your, my, your job as you are. Let me give you another one. Is I, I would never worry about your kids. Now, you would come to me maybe at some time and say, Kev, I'm having trouble with my kids, or you know, I don't know what to do, or my kids are you know, walking away from God, or there's some discipline things, and you know, we would you know, we'd talk about that, we'd pray together and stuff, but I'd go to bed at night, and I wouldn't worry because I'm just not as devoted to your kids as you are. My worry is tied to the things that I'm most devoted to. So think about this. What if we shifted our devotion? What would happen to our worry? Now, Jesus doesn't say it that directly, of course, because that'd be way too easy and the Bible would be too short. And he has this way of meandering us through some stuff that teaches us even better. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 as Jesus kind of launches into worry. And um, when Jesus decides to talk about this part of worry, um, his preeminent teaching on worry is this particular block in Matthew chapter 6, and he kicks it off with what? With money. I find that interesting because when I was looking up and Googling up when people's number one stress in Calgary or or Alberta or Canada, even North America, one of the top two things always came up is money. Money was it. And so it's as if Jesus is speaking to us today. And so turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 24. We read these words. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be what? He will be, there's that word, devoted There's a devotion issue here. He'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or the word for money is also mammon, which is stuff. You can't serve God and your stuff. It's just not gonna happen that way. You have to make a decision at some particular point what you're gonna be devoted to because you're gonna be forced into making decisions in your life where you're gonna have to choose your God value or your stuff value and you can't have both. Now you you can like both, And you can say that you love both, but you can't love both. You've got to make a decision here. I find it intriguing. In my reading, I came across this quote too. Money's a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. I think that's what Jesus was alluding to. And in his wonderful way, he doesn't just leave us there. He begins into discussion about worry. And so we read on in Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, now... If you're learning to study the Bible, if there's classes here at Southview that teach that, or if you went away to school, like one of my first classes on learning to study the Bible, this was the point. If you see the word therefore, you need to find out why it's therefore, right? Yeah, so that's why I started in the verse previous. Jesus is saying, therefore, based on this devotion issue that we struggle with between God and money and God and mammon, therefore, I tell you, which is a command, not a suggestion, do not be anxious about your life. And then he addresses all the things that his audience is worrying about. What you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you're going to put on. 
He knows what they're thinking about every single day. This is a hand-to-mouth society that he's speaking to. When they got up in the morning, they worried every single day about what they were going to eat, what they were going to drink. There was no refrigerator. There was no pantry. There was no grocery store down the street. There was no winners where you go and buy four shirts for 20 bucks. Uh, they, they worried about how they were going to replace the clothing. They had no choice of what they were going to wear. And so that's what they were dealing with every single day. He understood it. If he was addressing it today to us, it might sound a little differently. He would say, don't worry about if you're going to be able to retire. Don't worry about the economy. Don't worry about those exams at school. Don't worry about whether or not you're going to be single the rest of your life. Don't worry about whether or not you're going to find a job you like. Don't worry about your kids or your health. Don't worry about your life. Now, is he saying it's not important that we have food? or clothes. Jesus is not saying it's not important that we think about retirement or school or jobs or kids or health. That isn't his issue. The point is that all these things are important and there's uncertainty related to all of them in some area and they may not work out perfectly or fine the way we want, but we still don't have to worry. There's a, there's a way of facing uncertainty tomorrow, but, to, but not to worry about it today. And so he continues. He says, is life more than food? Is not the body more than clothing? And, and is not life more important than food? Is not the body more important than clothing? He's asking us that question. Is, is life not more than retirement? I mean, would you say life equals retirement? Is there not more to life than that? Is there not more to life than my kids getting into the school that they want to get into? Or is life health Isn't there more to life than that? Is life more than just being married? You're so worried about whether you're going to get married or married again that that's all you think about? And Jesus isn't saying it's not important, but isn't life more than whether or not you're going to get married? He wants us to teach us about not worrying and how to pull back. And so then he starts in with some illustrations because he's a brilliant teacher. And he says in verse 26, remember this is outside. This is the Sermon on the Mount. People are sitting everywhere. And Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Now that would make sense to the people who were there in Jesus' day. Because they would look around and go, oh yeah, there's the birds of the air. But as we're reading this today, and we read, don't worry about your life, and then we read, look at the birds of the air. We think, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? I don't have time to look at the birds of the air. I need a job. My kids are failing at school. I've got a mortgage to pay. My husband said he's not coming back. No offense, Jesus. Are you kidding me? Look at the birds of the air. And if Jesus was with you, he would say, are are you finished? Let me finish, because I'm trying to help you with worry. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns like you do. The people there did those things. They sowed and they reaped and and they gathered into barns. It was stuff that they were very familiar with. And so, if we were to change it up for our culture, it would be this. Look at the birds of the air. They don't have an RSP. They don't get a university education. They don't walk their kids around everywhere holding their hands, making their wear helmets, wrapping them up in bubble wrap to protect them. I mean, the birds of the air, they build their nests high into the trees, and then they kick their kids out. Hey, you guys, what great parenting advice. Hey, we should go back to that maybe at some point. But if you're, if you're misreading this verse, you're going to misunderstand it and think that Jesus is making fun of all of our hard work. What he's saying is that the birds of the air, they don't really even try. They fly around and suddenly decide to head south for the winter. 
They, they don't check out Expedia or Trivago. They don't even know why they're doing it. You know, the birds of the air fly around and they see a piece of string and they say, oh, I feel compelled to pick up that piece of string and build a nest. Didn't I do this last year? They have no idea why they're doing what they're doing. They don't have a budget or plans or smartphones or Siri to ask. They don't do any of the responsible things that you and I do. I mean, we're out there trying. The birds of the air, they're just going by on instinct. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. So he asks this critical question, the last part of the verse. Are you not more valuable than they? Are you not of more value than they? Are you not much more valuable to God than a bird? Do you think God cares more for you than he does the birds? Do you think God is more concerned about you who he's made in his image? I mean, at creation, God did some pretty crazy, amazing things. For five days, he created things and he kept saying what? It's good, it's good, it's good. Then he made humans in his likeness, in his image. And what did he say? It's very good. This is it. This is the culmination. And so I know it might be a little early, but let me ask the question again. Do you believe that God loves you more than he loves a bird? Amen. His point isn't be irresponsible. It's all going to work out. That's fatalism. This isn't trusting in fate. He's rather inviting us to trust in our heavenly father. In other words, I want you to sow and reap and gather in barns, fill out applications, make budgets, knock on doors, study hard, go on dates, work hard, do your best, set your goals. I want you to do all the stuff that you can do. But once you've finished all of that, I want you to go, God loves me more than he loves a bird. I don't need to worry about tomorrow. And then he goes on if you don't like the bird analogy, and he asks another question in verse 27. He says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? Older translations of this verse said, which of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to your height? In other words, add, get taller. Some vertically challenged people are going, yeah, I've been worrying about that my whole life. Huh? How's that working for you, right? I, I might say, you know, who of us, by worrying, could add another hair to their head? right? Nobody can do that kind of thing. Jesus is asking somewhat of a rhetorical question based on what he's saying here. He takes care of, uh, he, you can say, okay, I don't like my plan. You think the bird thing may be too simplistic. You think this whole thing might be a little silly. Then go ahead and go back to worry and ask yourself this question. Am I helping myself? Am I enriching my life? And Jesus says, if your worrying, isn't going to, your worrying isn't going to get you anywhere, look at the birds of the air. Think about this revolutionary idea that my father loves you more than he loves the birds. Matthew 28, he continues, verse 28. He goes on and says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin like people in his audience would have. There was people there who would have toiled and spun their clothing. And if you couldn't do that, toil and spinning, then you would barter something, service or goods, to get clothing from people who did that. So they were very familiar with what that was about. But the flowers don't do that. And yet even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? He takes care of the flowers 
He takes care of the birds, and the birds don't do anything, and the flowers don't do anything. Don't you believe then that perhaps in the tomorrow that we've got no control over, based on the today that we've done all that we can do today, that we can believe that God will take care of us? That we don't have to worry? Then he goes on to the core of the issue here to finish the verse. He goes for the jugular. Jesus is connecting some big dots for us because we become so fixated on worry that we're hyper-focused. And he wants to pull us back to 10,000 feet to see what the big picture is, what the real issue is. And he finishes verse 30 by saying, oh, you of little faith, can you not trust God to provide for you, oh, you of little faith? You see, worry is really a devotion issue. Worry is really, ultimately, a faith issue. There's a direct relationship between the size of my faith and the size of my worry. And Jesus says the reason that our worries are so big is because our faith is so small. Now, I found it somewhat interesting in preparing for this that there's a little, these two little words here that are combined together. Jesus does this. It happens nowhere else in the New Testament. This word doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. And Jesus takes two words and puts them together. And the phrase, oh, you of little faith, literally, I wonder, I'm not sure I wasn't there. I'm not sure he was being sarcastic. I'm not sure if he was trying to lighten it up or, or whatever or poking fun. But it's like he's saying, instead of, oh, you little faith, it's like he's saying, oh, you little faithers. You little faithers. You've already believed the harder part. Why don't you just let your faith go to the next step? and say, I don't know how to work it out, or I don't know what the future's gonna hold. I, I've sowed and reaped and gathered. I've done all that I can do, so I'm gonna trust God with my tomorrow. I'm gonna follow him and let my faith go to its logical conclusion. And Jesus, though, is saying, the reason you're so worried is that your faith is so small, you little faither. People with big faith don't worry much, do they? In fact, they sometimes bug us. Don't you find them a little annoying? I, I mean, really, they've got the same set of circumstances that we do, sometimes worse. And we've had the privilege of being connected either by friends or, or by acquaintance with people who don't worry. You, you talk to them, they've done all that they can do. They don't seem to be stressed out or even afraid. And you think if you were in the same situation, you'd be a nervous wreck. But the thing is, is that you're in the presence of someone with, with big faith. And so they're not worrying about their future. He doesn't discount the importance of eating or having things to wear. Never does he say, nah, you know, I don't worry about food. Clothes <laughs> work for Adam and Eve. You don't have to worry about it. In fact, they're very important. His point is that we don't need to be worrying about it. You see, warriors are expressing little or no confidence in God's willingness and ability to take care of them. And so he continues on in verse 31. Therefore... Why is it therefore? Because of all the stuff I've just finished saying to you. Don't worry about your life. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. God loves you more than he loves the birds. Therefore, he says, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Right? He's kind of summing up. And now he's going to hit them with something that's going to completely shock them. Don't worry about your future, he says. For the Gentiles which could be translated pagans, which are the people who don't even believe there is a God, who don't believe in a personal God, don't believe that God knows you by name, don't believe that God answers your prayers. The pagans seek after all these things. 
They seek after it, meaning they worry about it, they run after it, they devote themselves to it, all of these things. It's like Jesus is saying, you guys believe in God, right? Yeah. You guys believe that God did all this stuff? Yeah. And and we would say, we believe that God sent Jesus, yet you're so stressed out over the important, what you think are important things, that you're so distracted and worried that you're acting like people who don't even believe there's a God. You're living your life practically as an atheist. There was a book that I read a number of years ago. It's worth your reading. Written by Craig Grishel. He's a pastor, a speaker, author, great leader of church in the States. It's called The Christian Atheist. Believing in God, but living as if he doesn't exist. The Christian Atheist. Believing in God, but living as if he doesn't exist. It's it's what Jesus is pointing to here. Here's why I think this verse is so important for us today. You see, all of us, to some extent, are connected with people who have the same worries, who've got the same needs, who've got the same anxieties about their job, about their family, about their school, about their friends, about their future. And Jesus is saying, look, as you bump into, as you share your story with, as you rub shoulders with these people in your circle of influence who have the same worries, your response should be so different from theirs that they're amazed that they'd be asking you questions, that they'd look at your life and say, you don't seem worried. You seem to care. You seem to be responsible, but you're not so worried. You're not afraid. Do you lose sleep at night? You're not freaking out. Jesus is saying this is an opportunity for those who are Christ followers to be different. People who follow Jesus who are his Christ followers are not better than people who don't, but we're different. We have a hope. We've got a strength. We've got the spirit of God living in us. If you give in to worry, get distracted by worry, get sucked into worry, there might as well not even be a God, is what Jesus is saying. You're acting like everybody else. You see, the difference is not the trials and challenges and circumstances. Clyde read the verse last week in John 16, verse 33. Jesus actually promises us that we will have trials and difficulties. The good news is, as we sung about, he's overcome. The difference can potentially be then our response to that. Listen to how Jesus finishes this this thought in verse 32. For the pagans, for the Gentiles, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Wouldn't it make a difference if we lived our lives like we really believe that our heavenly Father knows exactly what we need? That he's on it, that we don't have to worry about it, but that we're going to not worry because we're going to believe and trust that he knows and loves us more than he loves a bird? And now Jesus comes to the solution. He goes back and summarizes the whole thing up from the beginning about that that devotion issue, the thing that's warring back and forth. And he says in Matthew chapter six, uh, beginning at verse 33, seek first. But seek first. In other words, what you have been seeking is the wrong thing. What you've been extraordinarily devoted to is leading you into this valley of worry. What you've been seeking first is why you are where you are. You've been devoted to the wrong thing. And where you are is a result of that. The solution, actually, is a transfer of devotion. As opposed to seeking first school and grades and finances and job and health and kids and singleness. Because as long as they're on your primary devotion list, we're going to worry about it. 
And Jesus invites us into a whole different way of living and thinking. His invitation to us is to surrender our lives to him is what he's saying. It's the difference between adding Jesus to your life and giving your life to Jesus. There's a big difference. You can add Jesus to your life and that just makes you a spiritual person. You can choose from the smorgasbord of spiritual things that our culture and society is offering you and that would make you a spiritual person and then you pick and choose when you lean into it. So if Jesus is saying something I like, I'll lean into that this week and if someone else is saying something, I'll lean into that the next week because I've just added these things to my life which is totally different than what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about giving our lives to him and seeking him first above all other things. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, it's, it's not complicated. That's what I love about Jesus. It's not overly theological. In fact, he talked about it earlier in this chapter, in Matthew chapter six. Why, it's why it's good that when we read the Bible, we read it sort of in, we read verses, which is good, but if we read it in bigger sections, we get the context of everything. And Jesus says something earlier in chapter six, which explains what it means to seek the kingdom. I'm old enough that I remember saying this in school in public school, in Canada, after singing the national anthem every single day at school, we said this. Now, some of you who are in the Catholic school, I think you still do. But this is what it means to, to seek first God's kingdom. It's when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done, here and now in my life, as it is in heaven. That's seeking God's kingdom first. Jesus is wrapping up his message. Seek first my kingdom. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To accept Jesus' challenge to seek, to seek God's kingdom first really means this. It means, God, you know about my job. You know about the need to sell our house. You know about my health. I've done all that I can do. I've done the, done the responsible thing. Now, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth in my life in this situation as it is in heaven. When you make this transfer of devotion, something happens to your worry. Suddenly there's this peace that passes understanding, which is a peace that doesn't make any sense at all because nothing's changed except your heart, except your focus. It may be that practically what this looks like for you at the beginning of your day, at the end of your day, in a quiet place during your day when things are coming off the rails, that you just sit somewhere in your car, in a bench, in your office, close the door, in your living room, and you just hold your hands as a symbol of your willingness to do this, and you just say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. I'm surrendering everything to you. My good marriage, my bad marriage, my finances, my kids, my job, my health. I'm trusting you for tomorrow and praying that you would be first, that your kingdom would be glorified, and that people would know you better because of how I'm dealing with the circumstances in my life. That you would use me to help to lead as many as possible to passionately follow Jesus. If that scares you, there's the other option. Worry. And Jesus ends verse 33 by saying, and all these things, the things that you've been worrying about will be added to you. Now people have taken that out of context. My wife and I actually, there's a relative in our family who believes God is gonna give them a million dollars based on this verse. They've been seeking and seeking and seeking God because they want God to give them. That's not, this is not a blank check verse. In the context of what's being said, 
If you look at the birds of the air and, and the flowers in the field and believe that God loves you more than them, if you seek God's kingdom, he'll provide for you. He will meet the needs that you have because he loves you more than you'll ever know. And he closes off with verse 34. And I'm gonna read it to you. I'm gonna get you guys to read it off the screen with me. It's in the message paraphrase of the Bible. I love sometimes going back to that because it just kind of gives a different twist or different insight onto a verse that I read a hundred times before. So read it along with me off the screen. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. I can fully trust my tomorrow after being responsible for my today, knowing that he loves me no matter what. And as my faith gets stronger, my worries get smaller. And so as the worship team comes to lead us in our final song, let me go back to that Uh, that nugget, that big truth at the beginning of the message. The things that you are most devoted to are the things that will determine what you worry about the most. Or the thing you worry about the most is the thing you're most devoted to. If we're devoted, if what we're devoted to and what we're worried about is not what God is saying we need to be worrying about, what if we directed our devotion And we could conquer, in many cases, our incessant need to worry about the future. If I could summarize the whole thing in three words, it would be this. Faith. Trusting God to meet our needs. Father. Believing that he cares for us and loves us more than he loves the birds. First. Putting God first in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your presence here today. We thank you for your word, the teachings of Jesus. We thank you that you love us more than the birds. And yet we're still worried. We're, We're just little faithers. And where we lack faith, Lord, would you increase our faith? Thank you that you work in spite of our small faith. But as we open our hands to you and say, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. May you infuse into us a peace that passes understanding, that gives us not only the hope that we need to get through this day, but it gives us the opportunity to reflect Jesus to people around us who are living hopeless without him. For we pray this in his name. Amen.